I'm Russ Bice. I'm Chief Operating Officer at Global ID. One thing that Democrats are not great at, great at a lot of things, but they're not great at messaging, especially making nice, clear statements that express our values. And Progress Texas is probably the best outfit around that expresses that in our big state. They're the ones who really capture the essence of points of view from a Democrat's world. It's Wednesday, August 8th, 2023, and this is the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Rapid response on the breaking news stories Texas progressives need to know. I'm Chris Mosier. A lot to cover today, including results from last night's election, in which all but one of the 14 constitutional amendment propositions on the statewide ballot passed. This is not universally good news, as there were several we recommended against, but let's start with the positive. A huge win for Texas retired teachers, but also an overwhelming display of support for public education in general across Texas, with 84% of voters supporting Prop 9, a long overdue cost of living increase for our beloved veteran educators. Lawmakers considering a flip towards private school vouchers should look long and hard at that one. Almost as huge support for Prop 14, which will invest more than $1 billion to create and improve Texas state parks. Also terrific news, Texans appear to believe in investing in education. 64% voted in favor of Prop 5, which will pave the way for the Texas University Fund, a $3.9 billion endowment to help emerging Tier 2 research universities across the state enhance their research capabilities. And Prop 8 sends $1.5 billion into allocation to expand Internet availability in Texas, where some 7 million of us still lack access. So there's the good news. Here's the bad news. Texas environmental progressives, including us here at Progress Texas, pushed hard against Prop 7, the creation of a multi-billion dollar low-interest fund for new gas-fired power plants at the specific exclusion of new renewable generation, a terribly backwards idea at a moment of growing climate crisis, but that wasn't enough to overcome the misleading wording on the ballot. Prop 7 passed on a two-to-one margin. Prop 1, which greatly expands the rights of landowners to do what they like on their property, neighbors be damned, saw differences of opinion even among different progressive groups. We found it too broad to cover individual circumstances and worry it'll grant too much power to large corporate farming operations, so we recommended against it, but Prop 1 passed overwhelmingly with 80% support. Unlimited freedom looks good on paper, but we'll see what happens in reality. Perhaps the silliest item of the 14, Prop 3, which we opposed and will require voter approval for any new future state taxes on Texas residents that would be based on net worth or wealth, is similarly overly broad and may cause unexpected problems down the road, but it passed to 69% voting for. Prop 10, a tax cut for producers of biomedical equipment. That also saw division amongst progressive circles here in Texas. We recommended against it as it appeared to be an unnecessary break for an already very profitable industry, but it too passed with wording alluding to supply chain issues. The only statewide ballot item that failed happens to be one we supported as well. That's Prop 13, which would have raised the mandatory retirement age for state judges from 75 to 79 and the minimum retirement age from 70 to 75. As polling around President Biden is indicating lately, there appears to be anxiety amongst Texans and Americans in general about older office holders, a factor that's vital to consider across the board. So you win some, you lose some, and then you keep pushing for progress. We're happy with the wins that came out last night on the amendments, especially for our honored retired public school teachers in Texas. 
Progress Texas also posted two endorsements in local elections in Houston. Inconclusive results there for now, as both of those races have resulted in runoffs, as no candidate got over half the vote. Joshua Fector and Alejandro Serrano at the Texas Tribune report that our endorsee for Houston Mayor Sheila Jackson-Lee and opponent and longtime Democratic State Senator John Whitmire split the vast majority of votes cast, with Whitmire just under 43% to Jackson-Lee's just over 35%. And Yilun Cheng and Elizabeth Sander at the Houston Chronicle say our endorsee for Houston City Controller, former Harris County Clerk Chris Hollins, took a bit over 45% of the vote, with former Harris County Treasurer Orlando Sanchez taking 25%, but enough to force a runoff. Those elections will take place in one month on December 9th. A side note that nationally, abortion rights advocates and Democrats scored key wins in elections across the country last night. Joseph Axe at Reuters says that in Ohio, a state that went to Donald Trump by eight percentage points in the 2020 presidential election, voters approved a constitutional amendment guaranteeing abortion rights, a big win that extends an unbeaten streak for abortion access advocates since the U.S. Supreme Court's decision last year to overturn Roe v. Wade and eliminate a national right to end pregnancies. In Virginia, Democrats won control of both legislative chambers, a strong rebuke for Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, who had sought to unify Republican candidates around his proposal to ban most abortions after 15 weeks. And in Kentucky, Democratic Governor Andy Beshear won a second four-year term in a state that voted for Trump by more than 25 percentage points in 2020. All of these encouraging early signs, but make no mistake, there's hard work ahead for next year's critical election for all progressives. Back to Texas, where you knew it was coming. ABC 13 in Houston says Governor Greg Abbott announced an expected and unprecedented fourth special legislative session that started at 5 p.m. yesterday, right on the tail end of the third special session, offering no break to lawmakers who are probably missing their families by now. What's the definition of insanity? You know the definition of insanity. Session four will be focused once again on school vouchers, which, as we've told you, at last look, appear to be going nowhere with the coalition of Democrats and rural Republicans firmly opposed. After over 30 days of largely unproductive lawmaking plagued by bitter Republican infighting between Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and House Speaker Dade Phelan, during which the legislature passed just two of the five items on the Abbott agenda, never before in the Texas legislature's 176-year history have lawmakers met for more than three special sessions in a year with a regular session. Reminder that these are part-time lawmakers now separated from their families and careers for more than half of this year. One might see where some resentment against the governor might be building against his desired goals. Even on a big news day, our thrice indicted, once impeached and always entertaining Attorney General Ken Paxton finds his way into the mix. Two Paxton pieces this morning. First, Philip Jankowski at the Dallas Morning News says the Paxton legal team has sued the group of whistleblowers whose report of his malfeasance in office resulted in that impeachment. They chose Burnett County as an appropriate venue for this one. And District Court Judge Evan Stubbs there ruled yesterday that the whistleblowers must halt any discovery or further action in the case for at least one week. All this following a ruling by the Texas Supreme Court that the litigation could resume after being on hold with both sides agreeing to a settlement that included a $3.3 million payout to the four AG's office employees who were fired shortly after they reported Paxton to the FBI in 2020 over his dealings with Austin real estate developer Nate Paul. Next hearing in this case in Burnett County is scheduled for next Tuesday. 
Also from the Paxton Parade, an update on his ongoing scrape with Yelp, the business review website he had accused of being mean to crisis pregnancy centers. Michael Gennaro at Courthouse News Service says counsel representing Yelp accuses Paxton of attempting to strong-arm Yelp into complying with his personal views on abortion and to censor the company's free speech rights when he sued them back in September. At issue, a disclaimer Yelp included on the listings of some crisis pregnancy centers informing users that these centers, quote, typically provide limited medical services and may not have licensed medical professionals on site, unquote. In a preliminary injunction hearing in San Francisco yesterday, Yelp attorney Ambika Kumar said the disclaimer is truthful, non-commercial speech that Paxton is seeking to censor, adding that part of the reason Paxton is suing is because Yelp CEO Jeremy Stoppelman has made it clear publicly that he supports abortion rights. Presiding U.S. District Judge Trina Thompson says she's going to closely consider whether this is a case of retaliation on Paxton's part. Expect a ruling in coming weeks. Courtney Friedman at KSAT in San Antonio covers grim statistics relative to a gun rights case currently before the U.S. Supreme Court, who will decide whether being determined a threat to others is enough to trump an individual's Second Amendment right to possess a gun. Friedman says that last year, 216 Texans were killed by intimate partners, the second worst statewide count since the Texas Council on Family Violence began collecting that data. And over the last decade, the number of those deaths involving guns has doubled, with 35 to 40 percent of those shooters not legally allowed to have a gun at the time. The case before the court involves a Texas man who was placed on a protective order after a situation with his girlfriend escalated and he shot his gun at a bystander. While under that protective order, he was supposed to surrender his weapons, but he did not, later using a gun to threaten another woman, and months later carrying out a spree of shootings over the span of several weeks in the winter of 2020. The fact that this particular man's right to possess guns has made it to the highest court in the land is testimony to the insanity that conservative overreach has spread across our country. Up next, a couple of fine examples of individuals representing the conservative movement here in Texas. First, Ponchera Poniamini at the Huffington Post writes about Brad Benson, a candidate for the Granbury City Council who was arrested on Monday just hours before the election began on two felony charges of possession of child pornography. An anonymous tip led to a police raid of Benson's home, and they apparently found enough there to take him in. Note that this news either didn't reach or didn't stop. 623 Hood County voters from voting for Benson yesterday. And to East Texas, where KTBS-TV covers Ryan Taylor Nichols of Longview, a Marine Corps veteran who carried a crowbar to the U.S. Capitol and assaulted police with pepper spray during the January 6th insurrection. He pleaded guilty yesterday to two felony counts of obstruction of an official proceeding and assaulting, resisting, or impeding police in a plea deal that undercuts a trial in which the many videos of Nichols' actions and intent to engage in violence, many of which he shot himself, would have been on display to a jury. Nichols remains in federal custody and will be sentenced sometime next year after a pre-sentencing report is completed, at which point he'll receive credit for nearly two years spent in pre-trial detention following his arrest. Even more shameful impacts of conservative policies on the lives of Texans, as Olafemian Oshin at The Hill writes about a transgender student in Sherman who has been kicked out of a leading role in his high school's upcoming musical due to a new policy established by Sherman ISD's administration dictating that actors and actresses in school productions can only play roles that align with the gender the actor was assigned at birth. 
Max Hightower identifies as a transgender male, meaning he can no longer be cast under this rule as the male lead in his theater program's production of Oklahoma. The good news is Max has the backing of his family and says he'll continue to fight for equal treatment. These people have apparently never seen Tootsie or Mrs. Doubtfire. Finally this morning, as we've told you, Lubbock is going to pot. You've heard of the success of the local advocacy group Freedom Act Lubbock in collecting enough petition signatures to force a marijuana decriminalization measure onto the local ballot. Caitlin Rooney at KAMC-TV in Lubbock says the Lubbock City Council yesterday set a hearing of next Tuesday to consider the petition. The council has the option to adopt the measure outright, and if they don't, it goes to Lubbock voters to decide. We're following closely. And that's the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch for this Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. Links to all these original stories can be found in our show notes. Progress Texas is a nonprofit media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. While campaigns come and go, we're the permanent home for rapid response media and messaging in the Lone Star State. If you're enjoying our podcasts, an easy way to get active is to share it with a friend and please consider making a donation to help us continue our important work at progresstexas.org. I'm Chris Mosier. Thanks for listening and for voting, and we'll see you again tomorrow.